4, verse 1 through 2. It says, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So this evening, I'm going to talk about these two brothers. We're going to kind of take a look into these two brothers' lives. So undoubtedly, you have heard the story of Cain and Abel. You may have even likely heard heard it, read it, read about it, had a Sunday school teacher read it to you, or you've talked about it maybe. I don't know. But something that's interesting to me is that and we might not realize this, but that there is a possibility that even if you had not read it, if, if you had not opened the scripture and read it for yourself or had a Sunday school teach it, teacher teach it to you, you know that you can actually see it on television. You could see it in movies that are watched, possibly cartoons that your children watched, or maybe you were like me as a kid, you watched Saturday morning cartoons. Anybody ever watch Saturday morning cartoons? So... The story of Cain and Abel has been replicated and redone many times. In fact, so many times that the short list that I have that I'm going to show you has has been depicted by Hollywood several times. And if, if you're here and you say, well, I've never watched a cartoon, I've never watched television, you still might recognize some of these names. Batman and Joker. Superman and Lex Luthor. Tom and Jerry. Thor and Loki. Spider-Man and Venom, Sylvester and Tweety Bird. When we hear these names in this list and we think and we contrast them with Cain and Abel, we might automatically think of good and evil. Why is that? I mean, what happened to make us come to that conclusion? Well, in Genesis chapter 4 verse 3, we find out what happened to make us think good versus evil with Cain and Abel. It says, And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. You know, in this story, there's something more going on in this situation than just what was a wrong offering being presented to God. We do not read where Scripture gives any clear instructions to Cain and Abel of what type of offering to actually sacrifice to God. We do see, however, in Genesis previously that Adam and Eve had been caught in the garden and they sowed fig leaves to hide themselves and their nakedness. And so it was God that killed the very first animal and clothed both Adam and Eve with the skin from that animal. And this might point to a proper sacrifice earlier than that of Abel. But what we do know is that the sacrifice that Cain had brought to God was not acceptable in God's sight. And if we read what is said in this chapter, that Abel had brought the firstlings of the flock to sacrifice, this shows a desire to please God and to be obedient to God. 
Whereas Cain's sacrifice almost seems like it was last minute, a last thought. He didn't really think it through. The New Living Translation says it like this in Genesis chapter 4. It says, verse 3, it says, When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lands from his flock. You see, Cain's offering was some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Whereas Abel had brought the best portion to God. You know, to me, that's much different than just some. The best is different than some. Because when you get to the point with God where the best you bring him is some and not your actual best, sin is creeping at the door. Genesis chapter 4 verse 8, and it said, And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. I would say if there is no greater love than a man to lay down his life for his friends, then I would say there is no greater hatred than for a man to kill his own brother. Strangely, though, these two brothers who seemingly came from very similar backgrounds. And when I read this account, I am tempted to think that their reactions to God could have been the same. If their opportunities had been the same. But is that true? You know, if I have the same opportunities that you do, will I make the same decisions that you do? Two brothers, one a tiller of the land and another a herder of livestock. Let's look at Cain. We have Cain, the brother who chose to kill, which we might equate to evil. But the question remains, does this really make Cain evil? Scripture gives us some insights into this question, 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. Cain was doing evil things, allowing there to be evil things in his life. There is a light and dark. An evil and good scenario that is painted for us in the scriptural verse. One brother was obedient while another was disobedient. And disobedience to the word of God is evil. Titus 1.15 says, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. And such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Seems very harsh. But it's true. And this should speak volumes to us about what we allow into our lives and what we need to protect our lives and our families from. Because obedience is a heart issue. Cain's heart was impure and corrupted by what he was doing when no one was watching. And as Christians, we can say things like, well, don't watch that. Don't go there. Stay off those websites. Pray, read your Bible, take time to be thankful in all things. And we can think in our mind about our children. They're good kids. Or we can think, I'm a good person and I help out where I can. And we can say that our kids, they know right from wrong. 
And I do my best as a Christian to live out these principles I find in Scripture. And so it seems so simple to not allow these things of this world to bother us and to continue to live an overcoming life. But as simple as it seems to live in that manner, we must guard against things like media, guard against things like social media, guard against the news of the world that we live in. We must guard against the various movements that want to change everything in our culture into a specific agenda that is supported by our society. We must guard against schools that our children attend and the educations that they receive. We even guard against the training that our jobs and our employers are requiring these days because it goes against the very word of God. You see, there are lines that are being blurred in modern Christianity in the name of inclusion. And as the bride of Christ, we better be sure our priorities and our boundary lines don't get blurred in that name of inclusion. Because the things that might seem harmless today can become the stumbling block tomorrow if we are caught unaware of the potential hazard that they pose in our lives. Parents, we must consider this question and ask ourselves this. Did Adam and Eve know what was happening in Cain's life? Or did they think that because he was in the presence of God that everything would just work out? Scripture does tell us that Cain was in the presence of God. Cain, living in the presence of God, found a way to allow things that were evil into his life. That prompts me to say that it is not enough, it is not enough for me to get my child here on a Wednesday night, a Saturday night, or a Sunday morning, and then think that it's going to somehow counterbalance the things that are happening in their everyday interactions. With everything that this world is throwing at our children, we better be willing to create in our homes an environment where we teach, we pray, we fast, and we live out the principles of our faith so that our children might know this truth in their own lives. I have heard powerful testimonies about grown adults who reminisce about hearing mom and dad praying in the early morning. And out of that discipline that was created in the home, established in the home, they prospered. And they produced a life of prayer for themselves. We cannot underestimate the power of a praying mom and a praying father. If we want to see the change of this world broken and our children following in our footsteps, then we need to take this seriously. Because I'm going to guarantee you something. The world outside these four walls are taking it very serious to come after our children. The world is doing everything to remove the name of Jesus from their vocabulary, from our young people's vocabulary. And in many cases, and sad, it's very sad but true, they are succeeding. That is why we need P7 clubs in our schools to be established in our local communities. It is why I am going to promote the Move the Mission offering and give sacrificially to that offering because the battleground of our faith here in America is being fought in the hallways, the classrooms across our nation, our college campuses, our high schools, and even our elementary schools. 
And that is also why we as parents need to encourage them to live this out in their everyday life. Because your children, my children, are, might be the only examples that another child sees of Jesus Christ. And there is no argument, though. I will not argue that Cain's actions were evil by definition of what constitutes something to be evil in the word of God. Because let's be honest, Cain did something that was sinful. And in many cases, really, if Cain had lived during the time of Moses, his, his actions would have caused him to be killed. He would have been executed. And so this story is not just about what is evil and what is good or about good versus evil. Instead, it all hinges on what happened when Adam and Eve introduced sin into our world. Because through Adam and Eve's blatant disobedience to the word of God, sin entered into our world. It is a harsh reminder that what the parents allow in the home and the life of the family is what is the most crucial to guard and to be aware of. You see, if Cain had not known good and evil, then the murder of Abel would not have happened. I mean, just imagine for a moment, if Cain and Abel's parents had not eaten of the fruit, instead of Cain killing Abel, it would have been a life walked with God. Humanity was never meant to have the knowledge of good and evil. It was the serpent that beguiled Eve into eating of that fruit. That serpent, Lucifer, it's always been Lucifer knew what would happen if they were to eat of that fruit. That is how he tempted Eve to make the decision to eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. He said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When sin entered into the world, it was the death of innocence and shielding. We had free will in the garden that was unbiased and underappreciated. The free will that existed in the garden was not like the free will that you and I have or I possess today. Innocence was robbed the moment that the fruit of the tree was consumed. And Adam and Eve's eyes were opened to good and evil, and in them rested the very nature of both. You see, these two had been awakened to a stark reality of what was good and what was evil. It was at this moment that a flood of choices entered into their life. Imagine, the only thing that they had to choose from was, will I eat of that tree or will I not eat of that tree? To all of a sudden, there were so many choices for them to make, so many decisions to make. Humanity was then free to make decisions that could potentially cause evil or it could cause good in the world. And at this point, sin was being defined as humanity walked the earth. You see, we hadn't defined murder yet. Murder had not been conceived by the human yet. And when Cain drew back and slew Abel, it was a choice. It was a very real decision to kill his brother. Although it had not yet been identified as sin, it was malice and hatred. And both of those things are opposite of the essence of God. So why did Cain choose to kill his brother? I mean, after all, Cain had the same opportunities that Abel had. And as far as we know, the same instructions on what God desired for sacrifice. But Cain had many different choices to make at that moment. He could have just chosen to ask Abel for help. He could have traded something 
for a proper sacrifice to God. Cain could have asked God why the sacrifice he offered was not adequate. Cain had felt envy in this moment, and he felt strife in his heart for the embarrassment that had been taking place when he was rejected by God. Perception is everything. When we perceive something in our lives, it becomes real to us. And we have to guard against that. And that is why God identified that sin was at the doorstep of Cain's heart. God knew that it was sin that controlled Cain. And the actions of that sin would lead to death. Romans chapter 6 verse 12, it says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give into sinful desires. To me, sin is a very interesting thing. Because it has a, a very powerful pull on us as humanity. The things that get us are so easily acquired. Think about it. Envy, lust, pride of life, anger, and malice. These things are actually easier than the opposite to implement in our life. It's a whole lot easier to get mad at someone than offer grace to that individual. Offering grace to someone requires you to be humble and to desire to see that there would be love instead of strife. I want to ask you a question. Who here loves being cut off in traffic? So I don't see any hands. Well, I see David. David loves it. That's awesome. But what about having someone that lied about you and then you find out third party? Do you love that? Or what about when someone claims credit for something that you know you did? No one loves that. Probably not, right? Nobody, nobody wants that to happen. But yet we offer grace because the very definition of grace is unwarranted love. Think about it. It is easier to imagine that you deserve the promotion than to honor the individual who received the promotion. It's easier to look at someone else's home, their car, their lifestyle, and desire for yourself instead of being content with what you personally have. You see, Cain wanted to be chosen. He wanted to be chosen in his own way, not the restrictive way that God had requested. The restrictive way was more difficult and more work, and it required Cain to admit that he didn't have everything figured out. These are very real emotions that Cain had, but it does not justify the murder of Abel, but it does give us insight into who we are as people and how the effects of sin are very real. And you and I have in us the same nature that Cain had, that ability to bring evil into our world or bring good into our world. And that is the sin nature. We are capable of evil acts like murder. That is why Paul wrote to the church in Rome an admonition found in Romans 6, verse 16. He says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can, be, you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. So like Cain, we might act on these emotions if given the opportunity or the, presented with the right circumstances. Things like hatred and bigotry and social shaming can produce things in people that are deadly. And as Christians, we have to be careful because we have the ability to sin and to be sinful. So we have to keep our thoughts and our emotions in check with the word of God. 
And as a Christ follower, I need, I need desperately to be led by his spirit. And I need to examine my heart and my motives on a daily basis. When we do not keep these things in proper alignment, we can get envious when someone gets that promotion that we desire. When someone gets rewarded for hard work in the workplace and you feel slighted because you put the same amount of effort in. Or you watch as someone's life is blessed and you feel like you've been a valley for, for a long time and there's just a slight envy over their continued blessings. These are real emotions, real feelings. And if we do not deal with them, they can become like splinters under our skin and cause real damage to our relationships. Jesus even told his disciples that if they did not watch how they treated someone, then they might be in danger of true judgment and eternal hellfire. Matthew 5, verse 21, it says, You have heard that your ancestors were told, You must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. You see, Jesus told them someone. He used that word, someone, in this translation. Not just those you attend church with or your family members. But this is anyone you meet, anyone you work with, and even, yes, the guy who cut you off in traffic this week. You know, and Jesus goes on and he tells his disciples, he says, he says, we ought to treat one another in church if they had something against one another. That if they wanted to have their sacrifice accepted, then they needed to make things right with the individual they are having that conflict with. This is found in Matthew 5.23. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Our conflicts, church, cannot be forgotten about. They have to be settled. And there needs to be reconciliation in the disagreement. We have precedents in Scripture and how to handle conflicts that arise in the body of Christ. As Christians, we are called to be peacemakers. I want to remind you that's a requirement and not a suggestion. The individual you are needing to make things right with, though, might not accept your request to be forgiven. Or even realize that something was wrong in the first place. But this does not dismiss the need to forgive. It was Jesus who told his disciples to forgive 77 times 7 in a day. If you're like me, you're literal. You added that up, and the number comes out to 539. But that doesn't mean that once you cross 539 times in that day, in that threshold, that you let them have it. You see, the lesson that Jesus taught about forgiveness was a conceptual thing and not a literal principle. Otherwise, Jesus would not have forgiven my sins on that cross. Because I can guarantee you this, I have made more than 539 mistakes in my life that I am in need of forgiveness for. And I am truly grateful for a God who forgives me. 
Even when I go humbly before his throne and I ask for forgiveness, he is quick to forgive. And each and every one of us have in us that same ability that Cain does, or Cain did. You might think, no, not me. I would never commit murder. I would never kill anybody. You might think that. The problem is that your intentions and actions might kill someone every day. You see, if you belittle someone, yell at someone who makes mistakes, talk poorly about people to them or even behind them, when you think no one is listening, you are killing them by the death of a thousand cuts. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. The New International Translation says in Proverbs 12, 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There's no greater place that our words have true potential than in our homes and in our families. I mean, after all, this story that we're talking about tonight of Cain and Abel is a family affair. And you might have a perfect marriage. Everything works out. Everything goes well all the time for you. You might agree on everything. And if your marriage is perfect, then for you, this next part is not going to have much impact. You can just tune out the next five minutes. But if you say that, then we need to talk and we need to have a small group set up where you facilitate it. And we can just listen to those words of wisdom. But as for me... I can safely say that my wife and I have conflicts. <laughs> some of us, well, yeah, that's true, but some of our bigger conflicts come when I am driving. <laughs> Sister Jackie says amen to that. But that is why normally you're going to see her in the driver's seat. I'm going to admit it. I have a tendency to be really distracted when I drive. I'm one of those that while I'm driving, if I look this way, the car's going this way. I look this way, the car's going this way. So just imagine when I go into new places, the car, I'm like, oh, there's a billboard. Oh, there's a restaurant. So naturally, my wife does not enjoy going with me when I'm driving, especially somewhere that's new. And now after I share that, I feel like uh, there's good potential that I am not going to be allowed to drive the minibus down to men's conference. Another big area, though, for me and her is where to eat. You know, I'm, I'm one of the, I kind of, I, I figure out ways to kind of get out of things. So what I say is I say, well, let's just go to McDonald's. Yeah, that's great. I know she hates McDonald's, so that's the first place I'm going to say, yeah, we should go to McDonald's. <laughs> I know that's going to get me out of it. But these are not good examples of how to handle conflict. Yet, I will say, I have found some things out after our 15 years of marriage. And one of those things that I have found out is that every one of us, husbands, wives, teenagers, and single people, and even Christians, you have a unique choice. The unique choice you have is will I be a brainer of light and encouragement, or will I be a brainer of evil and discouragement? To the ladies, the daughters, the moms, the wives, the aunts, and the grandmas, your calling and purpose are anointed for your families. You have the ability to support your families and be an encouragement in the home. 
your prayers and your intentionality to encourage and promise your, promote your family can create an atmosphere of success and prosperity. Your prayers for your family have a power contained in them that can cover and create a culture of praise and worship as well as form barriers of protection and cultivate a relationship with God. And to the sons, the fathers, the husbands, the uncles, and the grandpas, you carry a great deal of responsibility and influence for your families. Husbands, you have the power in your tongue to make your wife feel beautiful and desired. Father and grandpa, your words of affirmation can make or break your children because if you say your child is smart, they're going to believe they're smart. And father, if you tell your daughter that she is beautiful and precious, then she is going to grow up believing that she is beautiful and precious. And the way that you treat her will be how her future husband will be expected to treat her. And as husbands, you have the responsibility to lead and direct the home. If something does not belong, then it is your duty to say that it does not belong. But I give you a word, word of warning. That doesn't mean that you demand in a brutish way in your approach to how these things are done or handled. But instead, you deal with them in love and you word, use the words of good and not evil. You can have good intentions and desire to see something done that would be beneficial to your family, to your life. And yet go about it in all the wrong ways. You have a very real decision to deal with all things in love. But to the uncles and aunts, I want to say you have the ability to influence and guide young minds. By your actions and the life that you live in front of your nephews and nieces, you can influence them to treasure God and the people of God. To the single person, I didn't leave anybody out. To the single person, your words carry with them the weight of self-imposition. When you say you are lazy, you will believe that you are lazy. And for those that are single and you are trying to be better as a person or as a Christian, you have to avoid the trap of comparison. Really, we all need to avoid that trap of comparison. But in single people, it's slightly elevated in nature. And if you're going to compare yourself to somebody... Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who somebody else is today. This is where Cain had found himself in danger. Because he was comparing his offering to what Abel had offered. Abel had offered a good sacrifice to God. And Cain, instead of internally looking at the thing that he had done, automatically looked at Abel and was envious and malice entered into his heart. The real problem that Cain had was how he offered the sacrifice to God. Because there is a right way to offer God's sacrifice. Proverbs 21 verse 27 says, The sacrifice of an evil person is detestable, especially when it is offered with wrong motives. You see, the difference between Cain and Abel is what was in the heart of these two brothers. And how they processed the thought about their lives. The word of God talks about Abel and who he was he was a righteous man, a pure man of intent. Hebrews 11, 4 says, It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. 
Cain might have felt trapped by his decisions and allowed the overwhelming feeling of not knowing how to handle the challenge of change. When you say that you have no way out of the challenges that you are facing, then you have no way out of the challenges that you are facing. You create a reality that is self-imposing, and the words you speak have weighted truisms. Scripture says that the mouth speaks what is in the heart. Matthew 12, 35 says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word that you speak. And the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. You have the power to shape your reality through the words you allow into your mind and utter out loud about yourself and others. Even the ones that you use to describe how others see you. This evening I am thankful and moved beyond words at the God that we serve. Because God could have cast judgment at any time in our lives. Right now he could say it's over and that's it. But we serve a merciful God. A loving God. You see, God in his mercy gave Cain an opportunity to offer the proper type of sacrifice. Cain had the wrong motives and the wrong desire. Cain felt like his sacrifice ought to have been proper. We tend to do that to God as well, right? Sometimes we do. We tend to expect, if I do this and I'm going to get this out of the process, it almost becomes a quid pro quo mindset. That we take into our relationship with God. And I believe that's most prevalent when it comes to tithing and offerings. Will God bless me exceedingly when I tithe, when I offer abundantly and beyond measure? God has no obligation to do anything for us. He doesn't have to repay us or give us anything in return for our obedience to his word. It is not our tithing that moves God. In fact, that is expected. God said to give charitably. So if we are to give charitably, that means the tithe is just simply part of the plan, but not all of the plan. And if I were to ask for a show of hands this evening on who here desires God to bless them in their life, I would imagine that everyone is going to raise their hand who understands what that means and that is because when we understand the principles of obedience, then we understand that each one of us should desire the favor of God and the blessings of God. And if you choose not to tithe, it's not about money and the lack of money that you have, but it is an obedience issue. You see, like Cain, if you choose to ignore what Scripture says about the tithe, then you are in jeopardy of being like Cain. And I'm not comparing you to a murderer. Because you have chosen to give, not give God what is God's. But I am lumping you into a category of those that choose to ignore the word of God. And to be disobedient to that word of God. Because if you hear and read scripture that admonishes you to tithe. And you choose not to follow it. Then you are in danger of what is said in Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? And tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. You see, the principle is the same as the curse that was put on to Cain. The word of God does not beat around the bush. It's direct, it's clear, and it gets right to the point of the subject. 
If you choose what is commonly referred to as the way of Cain, which is the way of disobedience, then your talents, your treasures, and your time will be cursed. You see, for me, sometimes I hear a word like that, and it pierces my heart, and I get to thinking in my mind how glad I am that I, 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 I'm obedient in that. I'm faithful in that. But I'd better examine my motives and ask the question, does my giving have the right attitude? You see, think, I think of Cain. His attitude was not that he had to give an offering. It was the spirit behind the offering. Ask yourself this question. Do you hear about an offering coming up for a cause like move the mission? And think in your own thoughts how the church just wants me to give again. I want to make this as clear as I possibly can. And tell you the church does not desire that you give again, but that you buy into the message that Jesus preached to his disciples. And that is there is a mission, which is the great commission, and at the hand we are all important to that mission. You see, move the mission is just a small part of how we give to moving that commission forward. We are still in our own personal capital campaign here at Refuge Church. And our vision is moving forward. And many of us have chosen to give to that campaign. Why? Because we're moving forward. We are going to build a new church. But more importantly, because I'm, I'm excited about a new church. I'm excited about a new uh, place to worship God and to just see what's going to happen there. But there is something that's way more important than that. And we are going to see this commission out because we believe that the gospel is meant for everyone. And there are a whole lot of people in the city of Liberty, in Kansas City, in the state of Missouri, and in our country that are in need of this life-powering message. It's not all about finances. In fact, that's just a very small portion. It's kind of like ministry. This right here, preaching from a pulpit, is about 3% of ministry. And it's the same way with tithing. You see, if we obey the word of God when it comes to offering in our lives, the giving of offering to the Lord isn't just in monetary values, but it is also in time and our talents. You're going to know where your heart is when you come into the house of God. And it's not an obligation or a tough time to get through that door out of sheer guilt. But instead, there's a true love and a desire to be a blessing to the people of God. And when I enter into this church, the first thing that I think is, I get to be here. I get to be a blessing to the church through my time and my talents. Then I can rest assured that my priorities and motives are a pure nature. But I want to say, no matter what ministry you serve in, you are a blessing when you serve. I'm reminded of what the psalmist said when I think about this principle. And it says in Psalms 84, verse 10, A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live in the good life in the homes of the wicked. You see, we have an opportunity to be in the house of God. And maybe you are not sure how to serve. Maybe you're just coming in and you're like, well, I don't really know what to do. I'm going to give you a tip. I came in about six years ago into this church. And so this is just something that I learned. It's a tip. When I was trying to work that principle out, and if, I'll just say this. If you can fix things, by, then all, by all means, be the guy who fixes it. 
If you see something that is broken in the church, then bless the church with your time and your talent. If the church needs some technological thing done and you have that ability, then lend a hand. I know that Brother Noah appreciates all that anyone's willing to do. And when we make God a priority, when we take our time and we give to God and we allow God to be the ruler of our lives, when we begin to align with the principles of God, then we are aligning ourselves with God's proper plan for his church. When you put yourself in proper alignment with the word of God, there is not a single thing that can hinder you from where you are going. Because what you aim at in your life determines what you will see. When we are looking at God and giving him proper authority in our lives, then we are aligning ourselves with him. That is why Abel was referred to as a righteous man. It was because Abel looked at God and desired to please God. Not out of obligation, but out of praise and adoration. There are real concerns that can take place when we are obedient to God. There's real emotions and real desires that arise when we step out into faith. But God does not forsake those that are in need. He isn't going to leave you stranded on some island. We can ask the Apostle Paul that. Because our God is faithful in everything that you will ever need. And when you decide, I'm going to step out in faith, whether that is in tithing, sacrificial giving of your time, your talent, or your treasure, something happens and something shifts. Your life begins to change drastically, and what was once out of alignment with God begins to be powerfully changed. That is because he is faithful to his word. I'm wrapping up. The musicians can come. I want to close this with a thought about the story of Cain and Abel, because it's a tragic story, this story. Two lives were destroyed by just one decision, one moment in time. And you know, it could have been prevented in a multitude of ways, with the parents, with obedience, with proper words and communication. And all these things could have changed the course of these two brothers' life. And instead of disobedience, led to a life that was taken in a cursed soul. And the story could end there. And each of us, we might feel conviction to be a better parent, a better spouse, a, a better co-worker, or even a better sibling. And there could be a pull on your heart to be more diligent in your offering of time, your talent, and your treasures that we all possess and the motives we have when we give God our offerings. We might even consider choosing our words more carefully and more appropriately in heated exchanges in times of conflict. And I say to you, I hope that is something you take away this evening from this message, that we have a choice to be bringers of light, to be encouraging and to do good where we find darkness, discouragement, and evil. The story for Cain did not end in reconciliation with God or with the family. It ended with Cain living and having a mark placed upon him and a curse on his life. For Cain, he would live in the afterglow of having known what it was like living in the presence of God. And Cain, having been cast out and cursed, left and he went to a land called Nod. And despite the curse, Cain would have had a family. And his family would go on living in disobedience to the principles of the word of God. 
and an entire genealogy cursed through the actions of Cain. Always being offered mercy, but instead choosing death. If you'll stand with me. You see, the lineage of Cain chose to continue and to disobey God. Never reconciling, only continuing to become more distant and more intentional in their rebellion. And it seemed like the promise of the offspring had been taken from Eve out of the killing of Abel. But that promise, there would be a son born who would one day bruise the head of the serpent who brought death into our world. And in Genesis chapter 4 verse 25 it said, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, She hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. The promises of God do not have an expiration date. And through obedience to his word, we can be assured that he will be faithful. And through the lineage of Seth, we can see the long line that would lead and one day bring about the Savior of our world, who all the prophecies would be fulfilled. So that you and I, who are capable of being like Cain, could put our trust and love and find the way to be truly obedient to the one who deserves all of our offering and all of our sacrifice. I invite you tonight to these altars. I say let this be a lesson to those of us who fail from time to time, who have made mistakes, the great importance of being humble before the throne of God. Our God is a merciful God who is no respecter of men. You might come from one of the worst backgrounds and maybe you have made some of the poorest choices, but I can read this story and find hope that there is a plan for us. And God desires that we would be a part of that plan. It's not too late to change your view to God who is quick and able to forgive and to love. Let's find a place to pray this evening before we leave to examine the choices that we are making and the things that we are allowing into our family's lives. Lord, help us to make the right decisions. To be aware and responsive to the word that you have given us, Jesus. Give us wisdom in the things that we spend our time on, Jesus. Lord, help us to have the right attitude when we serve and when we make disciples, Jesus. For your great commission that you have called us to, Jesus. Help us to see like you, Lord. Help us to hear like you, Jesus. Help our hands to reach to the lost and dying world, Jesus.